glory to receive the honor. How do you do? It seems that in this world, the truth is getting harder and harder to find. That's why New City Fellowship of Atlantic City is proud to present to you the truth straight from God's Word. We hope you enjoy today's broadcast of New City's Sunday Sermon. You're going to have a lot to say to us this morning. So put on your seatbelts. I had to when I went through this text. Open with me in your Bibles, please, to Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48. Oh, and there it is. So you know what? I'll read it from there. Let's stand for the reading of God's holy, authoritative Word. Hear the Word of God to you this morning. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That sends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. I'll put this succinctly to put it in its context. Those who have a right standing with the God of heaven are called to display that right standing through a godly walk in the world of men. I'm going to repeat that. Those who have a right standing with the God of heaven are called to display that right standing through a godly walk in the world of men. In other words, we talk the talk, we know and love Jesus, we got to walk the walk. We got to live for Jesus. It's basically what our Lord taught us in His famous Sermon on the Mount. In that sermon, He outlines for us a truly countercultural way of life, a kingdom way of life, a life that will certainly set us apart from a dying, unbelieving world, and it will bring glory to our Father in heaven when we live according to kingdom ethics, the way of Jesus, not the way of the world. And in particular, throughout the whole sermon, Jesus deals with what genuine righteousness in everyday practice looks like. When we talk about what is righteousness, this is what it looks like. So Jesus outlines it for three chapters in Matthew's Gospel. But this morning, we're going to be looking at His teaching on true love. We're going to come to the crux of the issue. And John Stott summarizes it nice for us, succinctly, so I can jump right into the text. He says, these verses bring us to the highest point on the Sermon on the Mount, for which it is both most admired and most resented, namely the attitude of total love which Christ calls us to show towards one who is evil and our enemies. Nowhere is the challenge of the sermon greater. Nowhere is the distinctness of the Christian counterculture more obvious 
Nowhere is our need of the power of the Holy Spirit, whose first fruit is love, more compelling. And all I could say to that, to Brother John Stott, is amen and amen. In my time as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't know a a, a command that's been more railed against, sidestepped, and out and out questioned by God's people than this one. As a matter of fact, that's precisely what the religious leaders in Jesus' day tried to do. They tried to sidestep this command. And here's the interesting thing, and I think it's important for us who are Reformed and Presbyterian, is that they did it in the name of orthodoxy, in the name of good theology. They actually sidestepped it. Let me give you an example or show you what I'm talking about. They actually taught God's people that we are to love our neighbor, but we are to hate our enemy. Now, where did they get that from? Well, here's their rationale, and unfortunately, I hear it a lot in the evangelical church. In Leviticus 19, where we find the command to love our neighbor as ourselves, it's in the context of not holding a grudge against a fellow Israelite brother. So what they would say is, what does it say here? It says love your neighbor as yourself, but what it's talking about is loving other Israelites. In other words, loving people like us, only people in the family. So they took that and said, that means our enemies we can hate, right? And that's why we could talk about Gentile dogs, and that's why we could treat everybody else horribly because they're our enemies and we can hate them. Well, the problem is they conveniently overlooked the fact that just a few verses later in that same context, Leviticus 19, it states this, listen, the alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself. For you were aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. What Jesus does in this text is he blows their shallow interpretation out of the water. He says, you heard it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I tell you. And what you need to see is Jesus is not adding to the law here. He's showing what the law always meant. He's not adding to the law. He's not taking away from it. He's saying, when it says love your neighbor as yourself, it includes those different than you. You remember later on he tells the story of the Samaritan, the good Samaritan, and how when the Jew was beaten up, the other two Jews kind of passed by the side, but a Samaritan, not even his religion, not his race, helped him out. And Jesus said, who was the, who was the neighbor to the man? You get it? It's across all cultural, social, economic, ethnic barriers. We are to love our neighbors. And here, this is where it gets tough, and I'm going to start preaching soon. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Boy, that's hard to swallow. You can say amen. I'm looking at your faces, I know. This is the one thing as a pastor I've had to work with people, and my own heart, we wrestle with this, don't we? But let's look at what Jesus says. Jesus, I'm going to tell you what the text says. Jesus calls you to love your enemies, and there's three things in the text that are going to help us understand this. First of all, he tells us the reason you should love your enemy. Secondly, the reward we get for loving our enemy. And third of all, what is the result of loving your enemy? Those are the three things we're going to see in this text. The reason for loving your enemy, the reward for loving your enemy, and the result. Let's take a look at the first one, the reason. 
Let's take a look at verse 43 again. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. All right. Now, in the grace of giving, I like the story. Stephen Olford tells of a Baptist pastor during the American Revolution. Peter Miller, who lived in Ephrata, how do you say Ephrata? All right, pretty good. Pennsylvania. And he enjoyed the fellowship of George Washington. So he knew good old George. And there was also another man who lived in his town called Michael Whitman. He was an evil minded guy who did all he could to oppose and humiliate this pastor. Well, one day, Michael Whitman was arrested for treason and sentenced to die. Peter Miller traveled 70 miles, it sounds like a story like our parents would tell us, on foot <laughs> to Philadelphia to plead for the life of this traitor. No, Peter, General Washington said, I cannot grant you the life of your friend. My friend, exclaimed the old preacher, he's the bitterest enemy I have. What? cried Washington. You've walked 70 miles to save the life of an enemy? That puts the matter in a different light. I'll grant you the pardon. And he did. Peter Miller took Michael Whitman back home to Ephrata, no longer an enemy, but a friend. Isn't that an interesting story? That's a powerful illustration of how obeying these words of Jesus by faith can have a powerful effect even on our enemies. I remember one time when I was working as a waiter and a setup person in a banquet hall in Point Pleasant. And there was this kid there, younger than me, I say he was a kid, probably a couple years younger than me, constantly mocking me. You know, always making fun of me because I believed in Jesus. And he would make fun of my haircuts. He'd make fun of me. Oh, isn't that satanic that you have a tail? You know, oh, you know he'd always tease me. And I tried, by the grace of God, to still be nice, to be friendly, and, and, and just be a joyful witness as a young believer. And I remember one day, Months later, I'm rolling a round table. You know those round tables you roll when you set up? Setting it up in the banquet hall, and he comes walking like this, literally. He comes, I'm over there. He walks by me. He goes, how do you do it? Like that. And I'm like, how do you do what? He goes, come on, how do you do it? I said, what? How do I do what? How do you be born again? It was months and months of trying by the grace of God to love him, to treat him with respect, to try not to treat evil, repay evil for evil, and he saw something, something in me. It wasn't me. It was Jesus, and it conquered him. Love conquered where all my preaching was like, yeah, 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 yeah. He saw something different. I wish I had more stories recently of me doing that, believe me. <laughs> but like you, I'm convicted by this passage. One of the most powerful displays of the grace of the gospel, think about this, is when God's children live out the gospel by showing genuine love to those who mistreat them. Because what is it? It's a picture, a living, vivid, actual picture of the love of Christ. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. But here's the little twist I want to give you from this text. Actually, the reason Jesus gives for loving our enemies is not so that they'll be converted. That, that's certainly one of the reasons, and it certainly would follow, but that's not the ultimate reason. Not in this text. Let's look at the real reason, verse 45. He tells us to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us. Here it is. So that you might be like your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and sends, 
I mean, and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Here's the issue. Christian, if you are a Christian, you need to know that your Father is good to the wicked and the righteous. That same sun that comes up in the morning and you say, glorious sunrise, and it warms your face, and it gives you light, that same sun, He sends it on the wicked people too. They get to enjoy it. And by extension, I always think of it this way. You know that beautiful ripe peach in the, in the middle of the summer that I pick from my tree and I bite it and all the juice goes down? Unbelievers taste that too, don't they? They get to enjoy God's good gifts. And what, what Jesus is saying is show yourself to be a son or a daughter of that Father. Reflect that goodness. Reflect that mercy. Reflect His love by doing good to those who hate your guts by showing mercy to those who would mistreat you. These are strong words, aren't they? What Jesus is basically saying is this. It's enough for us to be like the one who gave His one and only Son to save us while we were yet His enemies. Think about that. Our God gave His one and only Son while we hated His guts. Oh, we don't want to say that. But I like Martin Luther. When he was under conviction of his sins and he was struggling, and he said, you know, he kept confessing his sins, and the priest said to him, don't you just love God for crying out loud? In other words, that'll cover it. Just love God. And you know what Luther said? Love him. Sometimes I hate him. And before we were converted, before we knew Jesus, we were God's enemies. And while we were enemies, he didn't wait until something good happened. Oh, now they're changed. Now I love them. He loved us while we were his enemies and sent his son to die for us. And what, what is being said here by Jesus is we are to be like our Father in heaven. And there's that old saying, like Father, like Son. Remember that saying? Just yesterday, Thea said to me, Santo, being with Caleb on the Ocean City boardwalk was just like being with you. She said, it cracks me up. And then she said, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? Now, oh, and then she said something like, what a guido. I don't know what to do with that one. But anyway, um, now I wish it was Santo, you know, he was such a godly man that that, you know, reminded me of you. But that's okay, it still works. But the point is, you know, there's still a little pride that comes in the heart. There's still that good feeling. that I, It blesses me. My son's a chip off the old block. It just It's something that really brings me joy and as a father. Well, according to Jesus, it blesses your heavenly Father's heart when you imitate His love for those who hate you and persecute you. And people say, man, He's just like His Father. Wouldn't that be awesome of you if people can say, Dave is just like His Father in heaven. He reflects that love. He reflects that mercy. Man, if it was me, I'd want to punch that guy in the head. But look at how Dave reacted. That's a God thing. That's supernatural. That doesn't come from man. C.S. Lewis writes this. Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, 
you will find yourself disliking him less. Isn't that interesting? And I think that means we have to stop talking to ourselves and talking to others, saying things like this, I hate that guy. You ever find yourself saying that? No, not you guys. I can't stand him. And what happens? You hate him more. Right? But what C.S. Lewis is pointing out, obviously based really on what Jesus is saying, is when you give yourself for that person, when you pray, especially when you pray for that person, you find something strange happening inside of you. You know where it's coming from. You find that you begin to love that person. It's not always an emotional, sentimental, ishy-gushy thing, but it's definitely you feel a draw to them. I remember going back to that, the, the restaurant I worked at. There was a woman who would humiliate me. She was my manager. She made me feel like this small a lot of times, and my bro, my, the brother in the Lord who led me to the Lord, and I would pray for her. And before you knew it, we had such a love for this woman. She became the center of our prayers. We would go to her house after hours to counsel her when she needed help. And there really was a love for this woman who did nothing but try to make my life miserable. But in the end, when she needed somebody to talk to, when her life was a shambles, she called up Bob and I. Can you come over? I need help. Wasn't her drinking buddies, right? Wasn't her fellow managers. It was lowly waiters because she knew we loved her and we cared for her soul. And we were able to minister to her. Nothing helps us gain God's perspective more than when we pray for our enemies. One of the things we see when we pray for others, even those who hate us and are mistreating us, is we begin to see their plight from God's perspective. Here's a sinner who, apart from the grace of God, will spend eternity without him. Here's a person that's such a cuss (laughs) that I bet you they can't even live with themselves sometimes. They just don't admit it. And you hopefully will start having compassion. Luke 23, 34, you remember these, this verse. Let me give you the context. This is when Jesus was being crucified. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, you know it, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. I wanted to add that because it wasn't like, oh, you know, no. He prays that God will forgive them as they're dividing his clothes and selling them, vying for them. Stephen, because you say, well, that's Jesus. Of course he could do that. Let's take a look at one of God's servants, just like you and me. Acts seven fifty nine. While they were stoning him, ouch, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. His last breath on earth was not, thank you, Jesus. They're going to get what they need. No, it was, don't hold this against them. Have mercy on them. In August 1983, Russell Stendhal was taken hostage in a jungle in Colombia. It's a true story. By a band of guerrilla soldiers. For nearly five months, he learned what it really means to love one's enemies. 
He wrote a letter home saying, I am in danger only of losing my life. Listen to this. They are in danger of losing their souls. Through kindness, Russell befriended his guards. One day the commander told him, we can't kill you face to face. We like you. So we'll have to kill you in your sleep. Imagine telling the guy that. So God enabled Russell to forgive, but for the next ten days and nights, he couldn't sleep. Gee, I wonder why. A submachine gun was repeatedly thrust in his face under the mosquito net, but the guards couldn't bring themselves to pull the trigger. On January 3rd, 1984, Russell was released. When he said goodbye, tears filled the eyes of some of his captors. Imagine that. Talk about being salt in a place that needs preserving. Talk about being light in a very dark place of hate. Man, I don't know if I could pronounce this guy's name. Doisko Yesvisky. But his name isn't important, really. What he said is important. He said this, Love in action is much more terrible than love in dreams. You hear what he's saying? Love in action is much more terrible than love in dreams. And I got a quick illustration, and I'm going to go to the next point, but I got to tell you this. When we were at camp, I don't know if you know this about camp, but when you're in camp, your bathroom, especially when you're with a bunch of guys, gets really ripe. You know what I'm trying to say? I'll put it this way. You're in the shower because you're like, okay, I can be clean for maybe another few seconds because as soon as I step on that tile, there go, you know, you're going to be nastily dirty again. And there's this smell, even on your clean clothes that you bring into that bathroom, that when you walk out, man, it's like, woo! You know I'm coming. Even the skunk went, whoa, dude, what happened? No, that's what I thought. So, so I want to tell you how noble I am. I said, I will drive off the reservation, as it were, I will go to Walmart and I will buy air spray. You know, air freshener. See, aren't I noble? I thought I was great. Air freshener, you know what I mean. Not hairspray, air freshener. So then I get back and, and one of the girls gives a testimony from the girls' bathroom and she says that, you know, the, the maid was so shocked because they asked for cleaning stuff for their bathroom. So, I mean, what does that tell you? What a guy thinks of how can I cover up the stink? But a girl thinks, how can I be a servant, right, and clean the poopy toilet and clean this disgusting floor so I could be a blessing to others? So that gives give you a good example of me dreaming about being good as the difference in someone who actually went out and actually did something. You get what I'm saying? A lot of time we have good intentions, we hear good stories, we hope that we could be like these people. But what Jesus is saying, again, is don't just talk about it, don't just think about it, be about it. So that's the first thing. The reason, so that we'll be like our Father in heaven. Reflect, ref, we will reflect His character. Secondly, and this is much shorter, the reward for loving your enemy. Look at verse 46. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that. Thomas Fuller, I could pronounce his name, once said this. Nature teaches us to love our friends, but religion teaches us to love our enemies in other words it's natural for us to love those who love us but you need a higher calling to learn to love your enemies now my my older son colin when we've been praying for thank you for that um he he actually watched a clip of uh chris rock i didn't tell him to i guess he must have done it 
without us knowing it. But he did. And, uh, and the reason why I say that is Chris Rock can be a little foul. I think he's funny, but I don't like the cussing parts of it, obviously. So, but he, he has this one stand-up thing. I'm sorry, it's a little bit funny. And um, I'm going to give you the PG version because, man, I had to cut out a lot. So hopefully it'll still make sense to you. But I love what he says. He says, some guys always want credit for some stuff they're supposed to do. This is good. He goes, a brother will brag about some stuff a normal man just does. He'll say something like, I take care of my kids. You're supposed to take care of your kids. What do you want, a cookie? And he goes, another brother will say, I ain't never been to jail. You're not supposed to go to jail. (laughs) You know, what do you want, a medal? And actually, not to be disrespectful, but that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He's saying even notorious sinners and godless men love those who love themselves, who love them, right? Even they live by this quid pro quo, this for that mentality. But when we as God's children go no further than that, we're not displaying any difference between us and an unbelieving world. What's the difference then? If we only greet each other, if we only love those who pay us back, then what's the big deal? What makes us salt? Any kind of distinction. According to Jesus, by implication, although our countercultural kingdom ethic of loving love for our enemies and praying for them may not have the effect of winning our enemy over, it will be rewarded by the hand of our Father who knows how to reward His children with just what they need. So in other words, sometimes we say, I'm trying that, Pastor, but it didn't work. Ever hear that? I'm loving my enemy, but he's just getting, it's getting worse. It's not getting better. They're not crying when I'm, you know. You know what I'm saying? But Jesus doesn't promise that. You know what he does promise? He promises a reward. In this life, peace that no man could take from us, knowing that we are right with God and we are living in the way he calls us to, a joy that no one could take away, that we could sing even in the midst of trials and sorrow, and most of all, in the next life, honor and glory with Him. He will reward us. The bottom line, and this is the reason I named this sermon this, the bottom line is that love hurts. That's what Jesus is saying. True love is painful. He knows what he's talking about. When he gave these words, he was headed where? To an executioner's cross. He knew that to show his love for us, he was going to have to take the hit. The biggest hit anyone has ever taken. Separation from his father. It really, love really begins to show up on the Richter, Richter scale of your life when you begin to feel its pinch when you begin to feel its sting, its pain, then you will know that you are trotting where your Savior trod before. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, love, even when it hurts. That's what will make you different to an unbelieving world, set you apart. You'll be like your Father, and you will have a reward. Thirdly, I just want you to see the result of loving your enemy. Look at verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, this is one of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible. Did you know that? Every time, I would say 90% of the time or more, 
probably more, that I've heard this Bible verse quoted, it was in an evangelistic presentation. It was somebody saying, you are a sinner, but God requires you to be perfect. For it says here in uh, uh, Matthew 5, 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I submit to you, that is true. The other, other places in the Bible teach us that if we're relying on the law, that we can't get to heaven that way because we, the law requires us to be perfect. But here, that is not what Jesus is saying. Oh, shocker. In this context, Jesus is saying something totally different. He's actually saying that we are to be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect. And in this context, how is our Heavenly Father perfect? He's perfect in love. By showing love to those who are giving Him nothing in return. He's perfect in that His love is not a a prid pro quo equation, but rather a pouring out of His kindness, His goodness, and His mercy to not only the undeserving, but even the antagonistic. How many times I've seen the most uh, rebellious, ornery, cantankerous enemy of the Gospel become eventually the greatest missionary? Amen? You know why? It's because our God is stubborn and showing His goodness and His love. Sinclair Ferguson explains it well when he says this, how tragic that the church has so often sought to be little different than the world. But there is more than that to such a compromise. It is rooted in an unwillingness to let Jesus teach us the principles of His kingdom. For there is a high price to be paid for true Christian living. It costs everything. Here's the thing. Jesus gave His all for us. And He now in His teaching is calling us to give it all back. To give it all away. To love indiscriminately. You ever see those commercials in the old days that used to say, the old days for me was old days, the 80s and stuff. They would have uh, these commercials when... uh, they would say, it, you know, they have a couple beers, they'd be around a fire, and they say, it doesn't get better than this. Remember that? Well, on this side of glory, what Jesus is saying is, it doesn't get better than this when His people do the extraordinary by His grace and love their enemies just the way they love their friends. And God says from heaven, perfection. Sorry, Mary. Perfect. So there is a way to attain perfection in this life. Not moral perfection, totally holy. But in God's sight, we are perfect when we are loving like this. It's unusual. It's supernatural. Actually, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen? This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 5215 Wellington Plaza, Ventnor, New Jersey. Worship is at 10 o'clock a.m. every Sunday. 
Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. You Are is written by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo and performed by the New City Fellowship of Atlantic City's Praise Band. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.